0: Hello and welcome to the Austin Forum Upload, where we explore pervasive and emerging technologies and their influence and impact on society.
1: In this series, we upload direct to you information, opinions, and insights from thought leaders, experts, and creatives from Austin and beyond.
2: They'll share their perspectives through conversations, interviews, debates, discussion, and more.
0: I'm Jay. I'm John. And I'm Barbary, and we co-produce the Upload for the Austin Forum on Technology and Society. Welcome to the Austin Forum Upload. I'm Jay Boisseau, the director of the Austin Forum, and I am very pleased to welcome back to the show for the third time my guests and friends, Byron Reese, the CEO of GigaOm and an author and futurist, and Professor J. Craig Wheeler, the Samuel T. and Fern Yanagasawa Regents Professor of Astronomy Emeritus at the University of Texas at Austin. Thank you guys for gracing the show again. Welcome back. Always fun. Looking forward to it. Let's let's rock and roll. So we've had two episodes where we've talked about AI in each one and we've moved around that in different ways. Today I want to make it very focused, although I'm sure it'll end up open-ended as our previous two, on AI and robotics and what one and both mean for the future of work and therefore for the future of humanity and society. So there are people who fear that as AIs move beyond very specific tasks and as robotics gain capabilities to also exceed human physical capabilities, that coupled with AI perhaps exceeding their mental capabilities, what's left for us to do? And what does that portend for society? So that is a simple question with an open-ended possible set of answers. So Bart, I'd like you to start with this. Can you shape that conversation
1: for us as you did in your book? I'd be happy to. So very quickly, there's three different viewpoints on that setup. One is that uh, eventually machines are going to have general intelligence and they're going to be able to do everything we do and they're going to be able to paint better paintings and be better presidents and write better poetry <laughs> and all the rest. And, and every single job will be gone. There's nothing thing can do that we want. The second one uh, I would say is more prevalent, which is that um, as the rate of change increases and robots are able to do more and more things, you're going to have more unemployed people. We're going to enter into kind of a permanent Great Depression where there are just people who can't add economic value or things are changing so quickly they just can't keep up. And then there's a third view, which is all of that crazy talk. These tools basically increase people's productivity and the great problem in the future is going to be there are not enough people to do all the things you can do with all the new technology. I've stacked the deck slightly, uh, <laughs> but we have all the all I think all the positions represented here. So, Craig, what, yeah, what's your no, response I, but to I, that? I, I have some concern that as we combine
2: artificial intelligence and robotics, and that becomes a really powerful thing, that it will displace jobs. And I know Byron thinks that it, it will all just shift up in some way that. These people will go a little higher and the lower people will go a little higher. I, I'm just not sure it's going to be that gentle. And again, one of the, not again, but we, we talked before the broadcast, one of, one of the problems is that if you're in an era of exponential growth, which we are in this technology and, and other technologies, uh, it, it's not just that the rate of increase is increasing, but but the amount of increase in in one interval of time, say a human's lifetime, the amount of change in that human's lifetime is growing exponentially. And you get to a point where things are happening so fast compared to a human being's ability to adjust to it. That is a qualitatively different regime than anything we've seen before. Industrial Revolution,
0: all of that. It, it's just its just different, I think. So I want to drill down into that point. But first, I want to refer back to Byron. And he has a, an excellent historical assessment of this in his book, The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers, and the Future of Humanity. Um, It was my favorite book of last year. I really enjoyed reading it. And you talk about this and how, at least historically, the proof is that every new technology has either not displaced jobs and has improved quality of life, or when it's displaced jobs, it's created more jobs. So can you talk a little bit
1: about that to set some historical context? I think what's interesting in the United States is that in the last 250 years, Unemployment's never been above 10%, other than the depression, which we'll call a special case. It wasn't caused by technology. And yet, I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out the half-life of a job. I think it's 50 years. I think every 50 years, we lose about half of all the jobs. Um, and so you say, well, how do you do that? How do you lose half of all the jobs in 50 years, but never have systemic unemployment? And the, the reason is, is, is what uh, Craig was just alluding to, is that new technologies come out. And what they do is they increase people's productivity. And that is always a good thing. If you don't think it's a good thing, then you should lobby that we all work with one hand tied behind our back and lower our productivity. If you did that, you'd need a whole lot more people to do anything, and you would you would create a lot of jobs, but they wouldn't pay anything because productivity is way down. So all these technologies come out and they uh, increase people's productivity. And uh, they, they create all this new opportunity. Now, the idea that somehow it's moving faster than before, it seems like it. You would think that. But I'm not sure it's the case. We went from generating 5% of our energy with steam to 95% in 22 years. Think about what that did. All the draft animals, all the transportation. We replaced them all with all these machinery. We electrified industry in this country in seven years. Because think about it. If you didn't have electrical machinery when other people did you were you know so we just did so we go in and we make all and and yet if I were to graph the United States unemployment level on a wall for the last 250 years and I say find electricity on there find steam on there you couldn't doesn't even move doesn't even budge nothing happens and it's because these technologies are fundamentally empowering the people and that's a great thing AI is wonderful if you take somebody with little education and put a tool in their hand that's got AI in it they're as smart as that is now. If, if, if everybody could go to bed tonight in this country and wake up with 20 extra IQ points, you'd do it. And yet, if you wouldn't, then you say, well, it'd be better if we all woke up with 20 less. But that's what AI does. We go to bed at night, we get a tool, and the next day we have 20 extra IQ points. And that is fundamentally empowering. The chance that we'll have any unemployment from this is, uh, and I'm about to wrap up here, um, but I, I would also say this, that you may have read this statistic that 47% of jobs are going to be destroyed by automation. And it's it's a fine study out of Oxford, but that's not what it says. It says 47% of things people do in their jobs can't be automated. Very different thing. The OECD looks at it and, and said, what actual jobs can be eliminated with technology uh, over the 20-year period? I think they came up with a 12%. Because when you start thinking about it, you're gonna have a robot plumber that can come into your house and figure out what you want. Or you're gonna have a robot pastor, you're gonna have a robot painting the curbs on the street. it's like there aren't business cases to build all those things and 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 so many things just cannot be automated. And so I would close by saying, I'm bullish, because right now the problem is we have we have people doing jobs that machines can do. We haven't invented the machine, but we have people doing jobs machines can do. And I think that's inherently dehumanizing by definition. And I want to build machines to do all those jobs and free people up to do all the things that uh, only people can do. I challenge anybody, wherever you are, look out your window and spot all the things that need to be done. All the things outside your window that need to be done. The curb that needs to be beautified. I mean, all of it. And, and you're going to see there's inexhaustible opportunity for people.
2: Greg, you well, we had no a, response to that. I don't know that we're going to turn everybody into curb painters. I, I don't think that's a viable solution. And, and, and yes, I mean, people are, companies are trying to make people more and more productive by bringing in the automation, by bringing in the AI, by bringing in the robotics. And I'm just afraid that there is a point where that's going to break at some level. If you're an individual guy who is losing his job at Amazon. Because he used to be able to move the books around, and now there's a robot doing that. That's that's not helping that guy a whole lot, I don't think.
1: So, I, I reject the characterization I said everybody's going to pick curbs. There's a wall out there that needs a mural, and it needs an artist. There's mm. a kindergarten across the street that needs more teachers, that needs a higher ratio of student, of teachers to students. There's an infinitude of... Well then things. then the issue is how do we get people who have been working in this
2: area to work in some maybe very different area? Maybe they're not an artist. I'm maybe they don't have the people skills to be a teacher. Right. How do we how do we I move have people around to keep them being very productive and and and, and I yeah. I, I agree
1: with that. I think there's all kinds of societal things we can do to ease those transitions. But I will point out, we've had no systemic unemployment in this country, even though uh, we're destroying jobs every 50 years, half of all the jobs every half century. And what happens is the, the great skill in the 21st century, the great skill is being able to teach yourself new things. And the good news is everybody can do it. Uh, if If you, when I think of everything I learned in school, what do I use today? You know? Yeah, exactly. He, he just did a goose egg. There's only one class I could have taken in high school I'd be using right now. And that's typing. And I didn't take it. And so everything I do today in my job, I've largely taught myself. And if my job went away, I would teach myself something new. And I think everybody can do that. The, the challenge is not you've got to take that Amazon worker and turn him into a geneticist. The question is, can that Amazon worker learn to fix that machine or can they learn to uh, fill out the manifest? Can they do something just a little higher up? And that's why we've maintained full employment.
2: So you've said twice now that the the, the jobs turn over every 50 years. Suppose they start turning over every five years. That could be a
1: qualitatively different situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't personally believe we're losing jobs faster than we used to. And I don't have to go back too far I think, to make that case. I think if you... Mosaic Browser came out 26 years ago. So the internet, 25 years old. And if, if you went back 25 years and said, what's this thing going to do to jobs? If somebody was forced, far-sighted, they would say, you're going to lose all the stockbrokers. You're going to lose all the travel agents. You're going to lose the newspapers. You're going to lose the yellow pages. And you would have been right about every single thing and a, and a thousand more. But you would never have seen eBay or Etsy or Airbnb or Uber or Google... Or a billion, a million companies that generated $25 trillion in wealth. You, didn't, you can't see what's created. You only see what's destroyed. And if, if, we were able to absorb the internet, uh, I, I think even if AI triples it or quadruples it or, or what happens, we're so versatile. I think of the antithesis, which is if I had been born 150 years ago, I would have born, been born a farmer and died a farmer and my, Father probably would have been born a farmer and died a farmer. And and now we're finally getting to a, a world where people can chart their own destiny.
0: So these
1: are great points,
0: and I'll, I I want to play devil's advocate to that just for a second, because mostly because I want to hear you argue me out of it. And I'm probably gonna play along with a Craig's line of reasoning here just a little bit. We've had agriculture for five or six thousand years or ten thousand years, somewhere in the thousands of years. We've had computers in the number of decades so much less time than we've had agriculture industry was of course in between sort of the number of centuries right and so things as you talk about in your book are changing faster they're not changing but we're not adding the same amount of new information every day we're adding exponentially more information every day so i worry that with our finite brains and our linear time scales that this exponential increase in knowledge is going to create new jobs and destroy old jobs at an increasing rate. So that's worry number one. Worry number two is that we've never made tools before that could replace us, merely augment us. Are we on the verge of making tools that can replace us in more general ways? And by the way, I'm still an optimist in the end. Um, These are just a couple of my dark concerns. Are, Are we going to replace an awful lot of human jobs with artificial intelligence on the mental side and with robotics on the physical side. And it will happen on a time scale that people can no longer adapt and retrain within their life. Over time, yes, but within their life, can they or will it cause some societal, severe societal issues? So, I, Byron, I know you've thought a lot about this and you've argued against it based on history, Uh, Craig, I know you've thought about this and have some concerns about it as well. I'd love to hear what you two think in terms of those fundamental parameters of finite human capacity, exponential expanding knowledge and capability, and the thresholds of capabilities when they surpass a human capability. Well, my my concern is the exponential nature of it. I I
2: think it's going to bite us in the butt at some point. but, you know, this is kind what of... What do a you mean by the Well, p- it's, just, What's the it's, going to, it's going to start happening so fast that there are sociological dislocations and finally we will break the rule that there's been the same in unemployment for a long time and we'll find ourselves tipping over some kind of a cliff. I can't prove that. I just, I have an instinctual worry that that could come to pass. Byron's more optimistic.
1: I, I am. I mean, it's, it's been said, that, you know, we now upload more photos in 3 minutes than we took in the 19th century you know i think we've i think we've had exponential increases for a while anecdotally we now take upload more photos in 3 minutes than we took in the 19th century i remember eric schmidt famously saying in, in 03 or 04 early early he was saying that the amount of of human knowledge that's coming online Every three months is more than has been in the entire history of humanity up until then, and uh, you know by all these metrics has been growing. So you have to say, on net, is that destroying opportunity for people, or, or is it creating it? And and I, I feel like fundamentally it's creating. It. But let me ask you a, a different a, a different version of the question. Let's say I made a robot tomorrow that. Uh, was uh, could do everything a human could do. Had general intelligence, and cost seventy cents on the dollar of what a human cost. Mm-hmm. And I started making just in the U.S. I started making a million of them a year, a million of these AGI robots coming out every year that cost less than a worker. Mm-hmm. What do you suppose that would do to unemployment? Would you see that? Would you see a rise in unemployment because of that?
0: I. I would imagine you would see a rise, but I imagine at that rate of seventy cents on the dollar, it would be offset as you've pointed out historically by the creation of other opportunities for those people. I worry about when that exponential increase on 70 cents on a dollar goes to 30 cents on a dollar and ten cents on a dollar.
1: Let's get to there in just a moment. But the fact of the matter is it's already happened at seventy cents on the dollar. From nineteen forty to nineteen eighty, you had a million women join the workforce of the United States every year. Working at 70 cents on the dollar for what amendment. An equally capable person working for less. And you never, you can't look at that on a wall and see unemployment ever going up. Never went up. A million new people a month, a year being poured into the workforce. We had this real problem, frankly, that so many boomers are retiring that we actually, but that's another thing. So you I'm have going to, to point to. out that there's a finite supply of those women workers entering the workforce, right. and
0: that hope not only will hopefully the inequality go the other direction, so that it's a dollar on the dollar. Absolutely. but there's only as many uh, women as there are men, not the ability to replicate them in quantity at ten cents. Absolutely, and there were
1: big sociological dislocations from that. But we all of that is taken. I'm merely saying that you can add additional resources to the economy, and you don't lose jobs. Seventy like, percent is one thing. Ten cents on the dollar,
2: a penny on the dollar. It makes it all the better.
1: It makes it all the better. Mm. So the question is, okay, so let's pretend that happened at one cent on the dollar. So that what what happened? Like why were there why was there no unemployment? Because opportunity was created. So at one cents on the dollar, isn't just more opportunity gonna be created, more things to be able to be done with that? But I would what were the more opportunities for these women? They went in and filled clerical roles. They didn't make enough
2: money to pay for their child care. Right. right? I I, I don't know if if I
1: would. I I mean, I don't. I'm I'm, I'm trying to talk about a general principle. When you you add additional resources to the economy, when you empower the economy more, the economy creates things for people to do. But I would ask people this. I have a test in my book, which is, um, uh, will a robot take a job? And it's 10 questions. It asks questions like, um, would two people do the job exactly the same? And if the answer is yes, then that can probably be automated. Uh, is the job the same from day to day? Well, that can probably be automated. Um, but but something like a um, two screenwriters wouldn't write the same screenplay, for instance. And um, and so uh, you go through this. And so what I did is I, I put this on my website and I said, type in any job name and take the test for me. I need data. And I find virtually no jobs that... These te- that technology can actually take and do Find out. and the reason I believe this by the way is that when I say when I ask people like hey what are some examples when you get the same example over and over again it means there's not a lot of examples and so everybody says truck driver and everybody says waiter to me that's it and it's like you don't have 600 of those do you? You don't have kindergarten teacher and uh, hostage negotiator and fire marshal and uh, I mean you can walk around the street and just look for all of these things and, and say, could I make a, a machine to replace that? And you can't. But what you can do is make people more productive. And that's what these technologies do. I, I love that direction. As long
0: as they are tools that make people more productive, I feel we're in good shape. There's still the challenge of whether the tool requires a complexity of training and a rapidity of learning to master it that disenfranchises somebody who doesn't have those opportunities for that level of education for that more sophisticated tool. But then again, you'll probably point out there's a job market for creating interfaces for those tools that make it so that more people can use them. I think the question for me, and overall I'm an optimist, just the one concern I have is how do we account for the fact when they, the combination of the AI and the robotics can replace more than the truck driver and the waiter but can replace many, many more complicated. Because there are things that these AIs can do now that I don't think I would have believed ten years ago that they would be
2: doing. Replace
1: now.
0: college professors, replace <laughs> lawyers. I, you know, I,
1: I can. I think we should replace. In, we can replace lawyers. No, I, but why would they not have said the same thing about farmers? 97% of people are farming. What are all these farmers? Oh, I, th- I think this
0: one's coming, actually. I uh-huh. think that
1: there are new techniques for farming. No, I'm saying in, be- in the past, you would have said the same thing. Like, what are all these farmers going to do? In fact, they even said it at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Do you really think these people are going to be able to learn how to work in a factory? But the replacement of farming with
0: mechanization took place over an extended period of time, more than one farmer's lifetime.
1: But again, I, I go back to uh, you lost all the teamsters. You, uh, this, the autom- the the replacement animal power of steam power just happened like that the assembly line happened like that imagine that's artificial intelligence by the way <laughs> it is it, a person in a garage could crank out a car in a week or whatever all of a sudden they made this machine this computer this artificial intelligence that could make a car a minute and like how how, how do you how do you even compete with that? And then, what if somebody said someday that assembly line is going to make everything? And then, what are all these craftspeople going to do? And it, it wasn't someday; it happened like overnight. I would argue that's process automation, not uh, at least not any form of
0: machine learning, artificial intelligence, in that assembly line. Mm-hmm. But the but the point is well taken, and you're right. Lots of jobs were eliminated. With so, there have been a handful of, of well, more than a handful, many. Uh, advances that have replaced large numbers of jobs in short periods of time. But those have also caused unrest and upheaval at times. Riots, strikes, we're fortunate Because rebel that- rousers say we're going to
1: lose all the jobs and there won't be jobs for you. That's it. It's because people are scared into thinking this is bad for them that increasing productivity is bad for them. That's why you had it. And why didn't Calculators put every mathematician out of business. It's like all of a sudden there's that guy who calculated, spent his life calculating pi to seventy three digits. <laughs> it's on his tombstone. And and now do we have? And it's the same thing with lawyers. It really candidates. was the market for a guy who could calculate pi by hand to seventy three. I I would argue that wasn't a big industrial. Segment. No, but but in, he, he should have been paid. And the by term. the way, the <laughs> idea that machines can now completely replace people and that's new. It isn't. I mean, switchboard operators, you know, were compared, replaced by machines. I mean, there's been so message boys were replaced by telephones, Um, ice delivery people replaced by frost free refrigerators. I mean, it's endless of these machines that came along just completely. uh, Oh, I think we all agree on that. I think we all agree on that point. I think we're merely worried about. Whether the time scales for
0: the transition, the number of job, the, the rate of job destruction, and the rate of having to but adapt how, to new jobs, whether that will ever become a societal issue.
1: But I'll, I'll just push it back on you with, with two questions I'll give you a second. How do you answer the internet didn't do that? The internet hasn't, up, even though it eliminated all this up very quickly, it hasn't. And then second, what evidence do you have that AI is going to be any faster? I'm not sure the internet is comparable to an AI-driven robot.
2: I, I'm not. I'm not sure those are equivalent.
0: Yeah, it's. I think it's more that I worry about again the thresholds thing. We've had advances in weaponry before, but none of them threatened to wipe out all life on the planet until nuclear. The advent of nuclear weapons led to a mutual assured destruction, Cold War. It didn't lead to the end of armed conflict. That. But it has actually, arguably, led to a great reduction in the number of people in armed conflict. On the face, in fact, no two superpowers have been at war with each other for something like forty or fifty in direct open conflict. No two superpowers. That's happen, right. right. For for, for no decades, two because of that fear, and so I think we've handled that because our lives depended on it. Um, well, so now our but we crossed the a threshold there our ai robots are going to be
2: competing <laughs> with their ai robots and <laughs> we'll see that is, that well goes, you know we'll that is going to be without defining who actually we
0: should make that the good closing discussion for this podcast because without revealing any details of our day jobs whatever they might be um, that is one in which I know of discussions of the use of AI in in de- defense, but that also means offense. So, yeah. Byron, can you talk about this?
1: About the use of artificial intelligence, the, the and
0: risks of AI being deployed in military technology. So,
1: there's a there's a, a big, a vigorous debate, which I don't believe is authentic in the least, about whether robots, AI systems, should be able to make kill decisions. The reason See, I don't think it's all Authentic is because uh, I think the 14 nations that you could count that are capable of producing those systems aren't going to let the other 13 develop them while they don't. So, and second... So more of a mutual assured destruction in this... And case. second... Well, so everybody will have a killer robot. I believe so. Right. And then second... That's a happy thought. <laughs> well, second, um, they aren't actually anything new. We already have artificial intelligence that makes kill decisions. Um You know, a landmine is a system that if a weight is greater than, hold on a second, if a weight's greater than 50 pounds, it'll blow it up. A very rudimentary intelligence. If somebody came along and said, I've got a landmine that uh, sniffs for gunpowder above it, and it won't blow up unless it can smell that somebody's got a gun, you would say, oh, that's better. And then somebody else says, well, I've got one that has a camera built into it, and it makes sure that it's a soldier wearing a uniform, and they have a gun. And then I'll blow up, and you say, "Well, I, I guess I'm for that too." And and so each step along the way, you would say, um, a reasonable person would say, "Well, a system that is more discrete and making sure who it kills." So people will, will logically say that right now. But right now we have smart bombs that uh, that that try to assess a target and blow it up based on smarts that it has on board. We have. Um, and, and so I don't actually think it's anything particularly new. We're just going to get a lot better at it. But I do believe people will uh, develop killer robots.
2: We're going to be a lot better at it. And, and I think the idea of killer robots
1: is disturbing. Well, I do think the challenge, the problem that it can lower the political consequences of going to war is problematic. If it's like, oh, well, no people, none of our people are going to die. It'll just be the robots. Then you might uh, find that society is more comfortable with going to war. And I think that's problematic. Well, we I agree. St-
0: we started with the
1: premise of
0: uh, what are the societal
1: implications
0: of <laughs> AI and robots. And we've moved all the way to killer robots. So I'd like to close this podcast with a happy thought. <laughs> what is, Byron, what is your favorite example of the advances in AI and robotics taking on a job that humans shouldn't have to do? And it's made society better for AI and or robotics doing that.
1: Our, our hope with AI has always been that they uh, do the jobs, robots, that they do the 3D jobs, dirty, dangerous, and dull. And those are things you don't want people to do. Uh, and and I wish we were developing robots that could do them a whole lot faster. Robotics is still just such a nascent technology. It's like when you, when you look at the videos online, you're like pleasantly surprised when they work. It wasn't that long ago that uh, there was a big contest to get a robot who could could tr- go up a flight of stairs, grab a doorknob, turn it, and open it.
2: Exponential growth, my friend. Uh, now perhaps. We now we got
1: him. Um, I just wish it was coming faster, because uh, I want them <laughs> to, to <laughs> well, do the dirty, dangerous, and dull jobs. Dirty, dangerous, and dull jobs. Fred. I, I, I have
2: contemplated... I am still pretty alert in my dotage, but would I like to have a, a smart AI robot take care of me in my infirmity when I'm older? Would I relate to it? Would I treat it as a pet, treat it as a, a, a thing to relate to? And I don't know the answer to that. I think maybe, I, whether it's fully conscious or not, but just a, a machine that would take care of me when I really need taking care of?
0: I think I those, open are, my mind. those are both great points. Certainly we should replace the dirty, dangerous, and dull jobs to free us up to our full human potential. And Craig, I, I certainly understand that as well. I, I wouldn't want to be a burden on somebody. I would want an AI-powered robot healthcare assistant so I didn't feel guilty in my own infirmity or whatever for having somebody have to take care of me. That would be a great tool for, for augmenting my life. Um, this has been a great conversation. I'm sure we're going to come back to some of the other topics that we touched on in our first podcast. And in particular, the next time, I'd love to come back to the question of um, humans. Are, are, are they machines or what is the what is the is conscience real? Is, or are we truly conscious and can a machine ever be conscious? And so I'd like to do that next time. But maybe a teaser
1: thought before we get there, Byron. You better hope they don't become conscious because... If they become conscious, you can't make them take care of you in your old age. You can't make them (laughs) plunge your toilet. You're uh, relaunching a long and sordid history of slavery. And if you you program them to whistle and enjoy it, that's even brainwashing a slave. So you better hope that they aren't ever conscious. I don't know that hope is what we need to rely on in this context. (laughs) We need to
0: impose limits to make sure that Interesting. All right. Well, we'll come back and talk about the next time we're together. Thank you guys for joining us for the third time on the Austin Forum Upload. It's been a pleasure having you both here. Three times is fun.
1: Thank you.
2: Thanks for listening to the Austin Forum Upload. You can listen to additional episodes and check out a schedule of our monthly in-person events at austinforum.org. The Upload is a production of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society a nonprofit organization here in Austin, Texas.